Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Hey, Alex. Yeah? What do you call a pile of kittens? What? A meowton. Come on, Dad. Live my life. Painted in a corner. You working? Yeah. This early? Yeah, Dad. Stop digging. You think we're doing the right thing? David, I love you. You love me. We're trying to figure this out. By the time I'm losing her, Dad. Love is a feeling, and feelings, they move in, they move out. Darling, Mom's cheating on you. Would you hit me? What's his name? Derek. Yeah, it's so late. I know I didn't get to say bye, so I just want to come by and say goodnight and I love you. I only agreed to do this because you promised me that we were going to work through this. You need to fight. You need to fight for us. David, can you look at me? This is my family. They're worth it. My life painted in a corner. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 370. Releasing September 16 in Australian cinemas is The Killing of Two Lovers, a psychological drama that stars Clayne Crawford as a husband and father who struggle with the trial separation from his wife and family, leads him down a dangerous road from which there is no return. Exceptionally performed and crafted, The Killing of Two Lovers is an intense and heartbreaking delve into the psyche of a good man on the precipice of losing it all. And joining me now is a writer and director of The Killing of Two Lovers, Robert Machoyan. Robert, I thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, thank you. So it's really interesting reading up just about this film and the inspiration of it. And essentially what was happening was you were witnessing people that you know in marriages, all of a sudden their marriages are falling apart in front of your eyes. And I'm curious, what was it about that dynamic that you're seeing in front of you that really spoke to you as a filmmaker and a storyteller that you wanted to craft it into a film? Yeah, I think a lot of it was motivated by, um, you know, experiencing those moments contemplating my own, you know, paranoia as it related to my own marriage and and starting to think about like, what would, what would occur, you know, in in the sense of like the loss aspects of it, 
And I, and I, I've jokingly said to my wife, you know, if we ever separate, I'm going to buy a bus and I'm just going to live in the, in the driveway or across mm. the street. Um, and I was like, you know, and I, and I say that jokingly, <clears throat> but it is really in response to like, I, you know, right now I'm currently in my, you know, the basement of, of my home and I listen to the feet of my children run over top. And if for some reason there was a separation between her and I, like those things would begin to be taken from me. Um, and that for me is very, uh, what began to be very interesting. And, and she was very, um, as I kind of shared my fear, she was very not worried. And I, I think part of it was that I was in my head, you know, <laughs> building this narrative as, as a narrative filmmaker that things were happening and she knew we were fine. But I began to think about like, oh, well, if you knew you were going to be home and that you were going to have the kids, it would probably feel less threatening. Um, and so those are like in my own life, looking at friends and watching those activities and then like contemplating my own experience. It started the writing process. It started to feel really um, like, oh, could we get at the, the, the kind of intricacies and the complicated elements uh, of a marriage that are that are not so grandiose, that are tinier? Um, yeah, is it is it right that this was originally perceived as a, as a short film as opposed to a feature narrative? Yeah, so the date sequence was the first part that I that I had written. I I had been wanting to try and Klein and I had been trying to work together. Things had not kind of worked out as far as financing or even schedules, and I was like, okay, well, here's a sh <coughs> short film <coughs> idea that I'll write, and maybe he and I can work for you know two days together. And um, so I initially wrote that and it was the date sequence in the film. And I was really thinking about <clears throat> two camera, kind of one that stayed on Nikki, one that stayed on David. And, we, and then when they're together, they kind of come together in a split screen. Hmm. And that was my initial idea. And I sent it to Klain, which he um, and he really liked it. And, and some time was going to open up in his schedule. And he said, do you think you can push this into a feature? Um, and so I, I, I said, yeah, of course, I, I think I could. And then I started, which is very weird to write from the center outward. Um, definitely a strange experience. You mentioned Klain right there. Klain Crawford is fantastic in this movie. You, he was pretty much there almost from the beginning. How did you two kind of hook up and kind of like start working on this film? Did you have you worked with him beforehand? Did you know him beforehand? Or was this short film something you pitched to him and it kind of just evolved as you just said before? Yeah, it, it, I had seen a film he had done called The Perfect Host um, at Sundance and and really liked it a lot and thought he his performance-wise, he was really under uh, appreciated as an actor. And so I had reached out to him at a feature script and reached out and he really connected with that feature. And, and the producers uh, and I were not able to get the, the needed financing. And so the project fell apart. Um, but we kind of kept in contact over the years. Hmm. <clears throat> and so I would kind of write things here and there to see if we could get made. And if we couldn't, then I would, or his schedule didn't allow, I'd go make other things and he was doing other shows. And it was just a matter of like timing that, that things landed and arrived at the, at the right time. It's interesting. This film, it really does look at the psychological effects of this, of this, of this man, this, really complex man and the, the stresses and the, of this really kind of st stressful situation, of course. And, you know, I've had people in my family go through divorce. I've seen good men do some really uncharacteristically kind of mean things. And 
strong men break essentially from the inside out. In portraying this on screen yourself, you know, as a writer and clean as a performer, do you also look at kind of like studies into kind of like how divorce kind of affects men in particular? Like, is there kind of like scientific basis behind a lot of the behaviors that we're seeing on screen? Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of research uh, as it related to the male uh, to David's character, you know, a lot in my own, you know, sitting down with friends of mine who had gone through uh, separations, but also researching periods of time, like articles that I read that really talked about this kind of period of called what they called the drift, which is when when you end up talking about your children more than you talk about each other and each Mm -hmm. other's plans. And I started to realize in my own marriage, I was like, oh, we need to set goals and we need to like have dialogues about like what we want together and try and navigate away from like only talking about our children. Um, and it was through kind of that, that conversation, um, that, that like, I, you know, anyways, further research began to get at the intricacies of David's character. Like it it began to inform it. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. You know, um, I'm married as well for around 12 years now. I've got two kids as well. It's funny you mentioned before about the, the, the pitter-patter of feet above you. You know, that's the thing about, I think, having kids is just you're used to kind of like the chaos of, of it all, kind of like everything's noisy, there's always activity happening. With David, all of a sudden that's stripped away and what's left is kind of like a silence and a loneliness. I had a friend once who um, I spoke to him not long ago, I hadn't seen him in a while, told me he got divorced. And he said to me, don't get divorced. It's so lonely. That's the first thing he said about the loneliness. And mm-hmm. I think what's really strikes me about your film in regards to loneliness is the setting. Um, this was shot in Kanesh, Utah, that location, yeah. the kind of like the really sparseness from it for it. It really speaks quite a bit about what these characters have gone through kind of like emotionally as well. I mean, they're so close. I mean, it's really funny. David's living at his father's house. So it's like around the corner from his family home. They're so close yet they're so far away at the same time emotionally. Did having that location of Kenosha that really kind of for you as a filmmaker, is that something you really want to represent about that gulf between both of these people? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Kanosh began going to be really critical, <clears throat> uh, partly because if if this setting, if this film took place in, say, a, a larger city, most likely the separation would be easier to handle because you wouldn't see them from your doorstep. You know, you would they would be uh, somewhere else uh, in that distance. And what I think is very interesting about a lot of the smaller town communities, which I grew up in myself in a, in a small town, is that you kind of embrace the isolation because you have a family unit. You know, you don't you you will develop from some friends, but you also those friends are also your siblings, you know, or a good portion of the closeness is with your siblings. But then to be isolated in this way, like David is, <clears throat> was not in the car in the plan. And, and so the result of that can be an immense amount of loneliness. And that's where Kanash felt really, really appropriate. But. I'd imagine as well that if the movie was set in kind of like in a, a city more as opposed to a rural area, there'll be so much distraction as well. So many things that are kind of like, um, I mean, that isolation, like you spoke to as well, has a kind of feeds into his loneliness, but he feels into it in a city, but maybe perhaps there'll be different distractions that might have taken that uh, that him, him out, of his, out of his own head and maybe he wouldn't have gone down the path, so he would have gone down. Yeah, for sure. There's that and there's just different different. Com- commitments and not not that larger cities are not full of families they are you know and they're they're full of family people who are very interested in family but but that what you're normally weaving into that is also like the the choice of a career mm. um and that career choice normally plays a role in kind of defining you as a person like i'm a filmmaker um Whereas these smaller towns, especially in, in rural Utah, being here, if you're choosing, I've, I've just spent a couple, uh, about a month down in Nephi, Utah. Um, if you choose to like, you make the decision, like, I'm going to live in this town. And then the jobs are, the job you, you get are motivated by that decision. Um, or unless, of course, like me, if I move there, I'm like, well, I'm a filmmaker, so I can work outside of, of the town. But many of the people who I met and associated with in these small towns made that exact decision. I mean, uh, you know, the home of, um, in the film for David's father, the owners of that home, he worked at a, at a mushroom plant that was just like, you know, 20 miles away. And the guy was mm. ultra talented and very like, he could do lots of things, you know, he was building cars. He was like remodeling his home. It was like the levels of skill set that this guy had, but, but, as in a desire to live in Kanash, he was working at, at, at a mushroom plant. And, and that is the difference. You know, David has made this decision, uh, it, as we see in the film, to be more present at home. And so the result is be, kind of being this handyman as opposed to, you know, something else. There are themes in this movie that are universal, while the subject of, of the boss itself affects some, not others. I think two themes that really affects everyone these days is isolation and, and mental uh, mental health, mental illness. And I think especially now in regards, like here in, here in Sydney, for example, we are almost 10, 11 weeks into a lockdown. And I think a lot of people feel the effects of isolation, of mental illness. And I know in the States as well, you, there's been many lockdowns in different places and that's been an impact as well. Have you found that people after, have, after having watched your film, especially gone through the experiences they've gone through with isolation and, and mental health, mental illness. Is that something that is brought up to you in regards to those things and the things in your movie? It, not as, I thought that there might be a pair, there might be a little bit of a parallel between them that audiences would, would maybe kind of 
connect or pull those parallels. <laughs> but funny enough, because I've been so much on lockdown, or at least even though uh, Utah and the United States aren't yet on lockdown, the suggestion is, you know, to not be out if you don't necessarily need to be out. So I have not been interacting with a lot of people since since the film um, released. But yeah, I mean, I think what's being learned, which I think is really interesting, uh, kind of what you were suggesting, I think one of the things we're, we're learning a great deal is the impact of mental health and, yep. and, and the fact that we're not, as much as we continue to go down this these roads of isolation, we're not as a species meant to be alone. Yeah, like actually a lot of damage occurs as a result. I mean, we're seeing it. We're seeing the result of the damage. I mean, the the states is I'm sure those outside looking at us are like, what in the world? You know, why would a why would a, a neighboring state ever make a mask ban <laughs> as opposed to mass mandate? You know, and it's like, well, we're dealing with people's mental health is what the real answer is you know, and people kind of struggling with that and not necessarily making, uh, you know, rational decisions, making emotional decisions. Um, and that like, as it relates to David, that's what we're watching, you know? I love the family dynamic in this movie between uh, Clayton and Sepeda Mawafi who's so terrific in the movie and the children as well. They're your children, right? Am I correct? Um, in, yeah, in the yeah. Movie. yeah. How does that all work in regards to independent production? Did you have time for rehearsal? Did you have time for people to hang out with each other? And or is it just something that kind of like happens kind of organically as a camera's roll? Well, we only had 12 days to shoot uh, this thing. And as a result of that, um, because there, uh, you know, Seppi wanted to make sure there was time for us to kind of meet and talk and like really discuss the character and Chris as well. They didn't just come down and kind of we didn't shoot them out in two days and send them off. They stayed for like extended periods of time. Um, and because Kanash really is about an hour from anything, either anyway around it, there's a, there was isolation as it related to the production. So the result is <clears throat> us, you know, <clears throat> having dinners together because the local community actually had to cater it. So they they ended up catering the production. So we would we, we would eat together as a family, and the result established this kind of connection. I mean, on the very first day, it was it was that uh, Seppi arrived. It was very funny because she arrived and then spent time with my children um, for a couple hours, and then I I couldn't find them. I mean, the, the place is not big, but I was looking around, couldn't see where they were, and then I went into the, our bedroom. Uh, and they were all in bed. And I was like, oh, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Seppi put us to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but she she immediately really took on like the, the parental role, which was very interesting. And I thought it was like, I was like, and, and my kid and the boys really like leaned into it. And I thought, oh, they're just, you know, this is just, you know, fun or whatever. But then when we premiered the film at, at, at Sundance, what was very funny is how standoffish my kids were to her you know and I was like well, she played your mother for like two weeks and I'm like yeah it was acting dad <laughs> <You know? laughs> just to end this interview I just wanted to touch on something that really touched me in regards to this movie and it's something that I think I myself as a father happened to need as soon as my son was born I'm sure it happened to you as soon as you become a father as well that we have become empowered with the power of the dad joke <laughs> um, which David uses quite a bit in a movie. I think it'd be fun if we just end this very serious discussion about your movie with a dad joke each. And I got one actually prepared just for this occasion. 
So I'd like to share this one for you, if you're ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do fathers take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. (laughs) Feel free to share that whenever you can. Do you have a dad joke yourself that you can share? Yeah, my go-to is uh, what did the fish say that when he ran into into the wall? Mm -hmm. Damn. <laughs> and on that note, for everyone listening, September 16 in Australian Cinemas, The Killing of Two Lovers. I highly recommend everyone check out this film. It's one of my favorite films of the year. And I think that Clay Crawford should definitely be, be given strong consideration when it comes to awards and your work as well, Robert. And I thank you so very much for joining me today. Congratulations on the movie and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.